All right, gents. So let's we may as well get off to the races here. Um, I'll just keep cooking at mitts and try to try to multitask here if I'm capable of that. I'm excited though. Uh, welcome everybody. This is Junior Resource Investing. My name is Matthew. Uh, I'm going to start off as always here. We'll get into it right away. Uh, that please, as a disclaimer, understand that this is informational and entertainment purposes only. Right? Uh, there's going to be forward-looking statements involved. That's the nature of the business with these conversations. So please keep that in mind and understand that yeah, we are not financial advisors. Please do not consider this to be financial advice. I'm excited to have Scott here today, but you have to make your own financial decisions, right? Um, and again, one more time here, just for those who may be coming in late, please make sure that video and audio are off. Um, I just want to say once more, though, my name is Matthew. I host Junior Resource Investing. I've been gracious, or Scott has been gracious enough, rather, to appear on my show a few times now. And this is the third time, Scott, fourth time, somewhere in there. Uh, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> lose track of all the good times, right? But uh, so no, he's gracious enough to join us here today. I also have a new co-host, if you remember from the last few, uh, Mark, he's, I think is in Europe, gallivanting around Europe right now. So I've called in another Brit to be my backup here. Jamie, Vin Jamie Vinnels is a freelance petroleum geologist. He'll be, he'll be riding shotgun here with me today. But we are here to interview Scott McMillan. Scott, of course, is the managing director of Invictus Energy. Invictus, of course, I'll just read a quick blurb here. I'm going to guess that most of you know exactly who this gentleman is, but maybe there's one or two of you who wandered, wandered in here off the street and need some context. But Invictus is opening one of the last untested large frontier rift bases in onshore Africa, the Kavora Basa Basin in northern Zimbabwe. The first high-impact well, Mkuyu-1, came back frustratingly close to a discovery announcement just a month or so ago, and the company is now preparing its next move in this highly prospective basin. Scott is here today, then, to hopefully shed some light on the recent past, those results, as well as the near future of Invictus. Scott, yeah, thank you. I appreciate your time. How are you today? Good, thanks, Matthew. Nice, nice to be back, and thanks, thanks for hosting again, and and uh, for Jamie for for stepping in uh, as well. Yeah, no, and yeah, always, always appreciate your time. Yeah, very much so. Well, why don't I mean we're, this is actually going to be a half step removed from where maybe people want us to be starting? But you had some news out today. You have a new chairperson. You have a new board member, uh, John Bentley. Do you mind just maybe just discussing us to us who he is and what he brings to Invictus? Sure. So, yeah, um, delighted to have John John Bentley join uh, the board of Invictus as the, the non-executive chairman. So John has got a stellar track record uh, in the African DNP sector. Um, he started out what is, is um, in his career in, in, in oil and gas with um, Energy Africa, which was the, the upstream business that got spun out of Engine, which is the big South African uh, conglomerate. So they're, they're basically um, refiners and downstream and retail um, of um of refined products, but they had an upstream business as well, which got spun out. And John headed that up as um, as the head of Energy Africa, it was called. He led uh, the the IPO of that business, so he raised. So this was in 1996, raised 100 million dollars for um, for Energy Africa um, at that point to to fund their portfolio, which was a lot of money um, in '96. Uh, and they had um, they had a, a large portfolio, led discoveries in Equatorial Guinea with Ciba, um, got got them into places like Congo, uh, Angola. Um, Uganda built that portfolio. Um, Gabon as well. They they went around and bought up all of the the um, the back end rights of the Gabon oil company. And so John led that business. Petronas was the the large shareholder uh, in that, and, and ultimately he had a disagreement with the direction of it. So they left. But after Petronas tried to sell it, um, ultimately it got sold to Talo for five hundred million dollars and formed the the, the, the basis of Talo's modern day portfolio as it is now. So Jubilee, um, Uganda, which got sold off. Uh, so, so Jubilee and, and, and 10, the, uh, the other field are the, the crown in, in um, or the Jules and Tyler's crown for, for those assets. And that was all, all set up by, by John. 
from there, he went to, you know, a bunch of other companies, um, mainly Africa-focused. So, um, you know, you've had First Africa Oil that that, that was acquired. Um, you've had um, Rift Oil acquired by Talisman. Um, you've had uh, Vanco, which, um, again, was, was sort of Equatorian and West Africa-focused. Um, Farrow Petroleum acquired by DNO, Caracal, um, who were in Chad, again, acquired by Glencore. So he's he's got a history of... Um, you know, taking companies from from where they are, building them and making them attractive to the point where people come knocking um, and scoop them up, and, and and those companies have all gone on to do very very well. So, John's a very very well known identity in in the in the oil patch, both from an industry perspective, but also from a corporate perspective. So, post um, post the results of the drilling campaign, we've had a had some reflection on on what the composition of the board needs to be, and so John's come in to assist. Um, both as you know, he's a fantastic chairman, but also helped a lot on the corporate side um, of the business, and and he's got some fantastic contacts. Led, um, you know, led the, the development of assets post discovery, um, acquisition, you know, M and A. So he's he's got a broad skill set and a broad set of contacts. Um, I'll also give you a a, a sneak peek that we're going to be bringing on a, a second uh, new board member. Um, he'll be announced in, in a couple of days. But um, someone who used to work with John at, at Energy Africa and, and helped build up that portfolio. So from a from a technical basis, and then went on and, and stayed on at Tallo, and was one of the rainmakers um, in the exploration group that that led all of those discoveries in Kenya, Uganda, Ghana. Uh, so we've got some very very um, you know fantastic additions to the board and and, and to the team that are really going to help um, help the company drive forward, both from a strategy point of view, from a corporate point of view, technical point of view. So really pleased that um, we've been able to attract such high caliber people to the board. Mm-hmm. And so is it, is it a fair statement to make that, you know, the skill sets that they're bringing are, you know, Invictus transitioning from Explorer to potential developer, and these are the skill sets that you're trying to acquire, trying to acquire? Yeah, that's right. And, and, and also, you know, we've, we've uh, you know, post, post the, 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 first, the first drilling campaign, we, you know, we've, we're now a more mature company. Um, and with the results, we've been able to attract Fantastic people, you know, like John Bentley, and I won't, I won't divulge who's who's joined the board on a technical basis. That'll be in the next couple of days. I don't want to ruin um, and steal this thunder, but um, you know, the 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 very reason that we can attract these sort of people is because of the the quality of the asset. Um, Invictus is at an exciting time. Uh, you don't get these sort of opportunities very often um, to you know to join a company in, in this sort of phase. So, but again, to help manage the workloads now because we are you know we are going to be busier um, and have some diverse opinions you know the, the previous board was together for quite a long time for four odd years or so so it's always good to, to refresh and um you know bring in bring in some um some fresh eyes and um but also guys who've done it before and, and are very experienced and, and know exactly how to lead us in the direction that we'd like to go and not to belabor the point here but just one other one more follow-up here if i may is just the hiring process i mean how did you, you know, shoulder tapping or how how did he come about was did he throw his name in the ring did you search him out what was the process like yeah so so we when um we we launched a point Stuart let us know that he couldn't couldn't continue because of the the personal reasons this was in, in early september we started a um uh, we started a worldwide search for um one <laughs> We started a worldwide search and um, went through a recruiting agent who we who we used before, and that was um, that was for um, that we used to recruit Stuart. So we, we started that process, and um, but also we because we and, and we expected the drilling campaign to be finished much earlier, obviously, and we were going to put someone in the chair then. But um, then, with things um, continuing a little bit longer than than we anticipated, 
and with the results we had, we also had a lot of people put their hands up to say, "What? Well, see that Stuart's retired. I'm I'm interested in, in you know if the position is open, if you're to to join the board." So um, it was a combination of a of a search process and, and a formal search process that we launched, and also through some contacts. And John came in through uh, a guy called Duncan Park, who is um, who, who started Africa Oil Week, um, and um, he. You know, again, very experienced guy. And Africa Oil Week in its, in its heyday, when Duncan was running it, was, was a fantastic event because he was a petroleum economist. He'd written a lot of books on the African oil sector. He knew everyone, and, and it was really a, a deal-making forum and, and a place to go to for everyone. And so Duncan had all of these contacts, and so we reached out to him through um, through Barry, our, our country manager, um, and said, look, have you got any people that you would suggest? And and, um, and John's name came up. And, um, you know, from the, from the first... Um, you know, from our first conversation, it was pretty pretty clear that John was a fantastic. Uh, you know, I knew I never met John, but I, I didn't know his reputation. Um, you know, I was delighted when he when he expressed interest, and we had a had a couple of conversations, and very like minded in the direction that we you know we'd like to go and and, and trying to build the company. So, you know, it was a it was a very easy um, decision for him as chair. And then we also, in the wash up of the of the drilling campaign, um, looking at what we needed from a technical point of view, and to balance the board off with some more technical. Um, capability, so it's not all just resting on on my shoulders as well. So, um, and particularly having a having a skill set of a, someone with a geoscience background on the board, I think is is important. And so we also wanted to to complement um, and and round off the board skill sets with um, with someone from a GNG background. And that's that's what we've done with this upcoming appointment uh, as an non-exec who's a who's a more technical appointment. So the combination of, of both of them, people putting their hands up. Um, as well and interested in joining and a formal switch process. Perfect, thank you. So we'll transition here to, you know, more perhaps what people are expecting from this conversation. And maybe if we may, you know, not to call it a postmortem, but, you know, now that some weeks have passed and there's time, you know, some time has created distance between Makuyu One and, and, and us now, right? I mean, I can only imagine as an outsider, it was such a tantalizingly close but frustrating sort of sequence of events. Do you mind just, I mean, as you would or as you will, do, do, could you just kind of run us through I mean, what was life like for you in those kind of the few weeks in December there in the run-up where they were just kind of a organized chaos, right? Or anything that sticks out to you that maybe you just kind of want to think maybe paints a picture for where, where you were at, what was going on? Yeah, sure. It, it was, um, look, obviously, uh, talk about the campaign as a, as a whole and, and some, some specific periods, but in the lead up to it, you know, excited, obviously nervous, um, you know, st- when when we decided that we were going to back back ourselves to go in and and solder us this um, frontier basin, never been drilled before, um, we thought it was the right thing to do. But statistics tell you otherwise. Um, <laughs> you know, this is this is a an extremely difficult game, um, oil and gas exploration and frontier basin. The success rate, you know, ninety five times out of hundred, you go home with your tail between your legs, and that's it. So we. You know, we were quietly confident, but no one goes out to, in, intending to to drill a um, a dry well. And and you know, there have been lots of people before that who were in exactly the same position as we were, who who didn't find anything. And and you know, those are those are company killers. And so I was very very aware of, of that more than likely possibility. You know, we were gonna we were gonna live by the sword and, and die by the sword. So in the lead up to the to the spud. Uh, Frustrating because we had the delays with the rig, we had delays with the service company mobilizing, and we just wanted to kind of you know get started after doing all the hard work and and um, and get everything away. So you know that was good, and, and 
we had we had a couple of surprises early on with the state of the equipment that, that arrived to us that was extremely disappointing. But we had a very good team and we worked through that and, and, and got through that. So there was a lot of frustration um, and excitement at the beginning. I then went over and I had Africa Week and Africa Energy Week uh, two weeks apart. And so we went to spend some time in, in Zimbabwe. Um, and in between those those two conferences out at the out at the well site. And we started drilling the 12 and a quarter inch hole through that through that period. And I was in the office um, initially with um, when we were chatting and we had um, had a couple of unpleasant surprises where the surface test of the LWD equipment failed at surface for the resistivity. And we said, okay, we'll, we'll run the backup. And then we were sheepishly told that, oh, well, sorry, the backups, um, the backups on at the well site, um, which again was a, a shock because they were on the inventory of what had been sent out to the well site. And um, so we started drilling that section and switched the, so uh, once that's done, you, you do, you do a top hole section, the first like 590 meters, whatever it was. And then, um, we started drilling that section and that's when you turn turn on all of the, you know, you got your BOPs in place then, you got your mud gas. So we turned on the mud gas, I was up when we started drilling that section and it was showing like four PPM, four parts per million C1, which you, from a background gas perspective, each background measurement is, is different, but there should have been more from a background perspective. And I thought, oh my God, this is, this basin is completely bone dry and we are wasting our time. And it was, <laughs> it was quite, it was pretty, <clears throat> Pretty devastating um, that initial period, and we we drilled through it okay. We and we didn't have the resistivity, so we we had mud gas that didn't appear to be showing anything, and we dropped. And we, we we did the calibration checks, and they would blip and then drift back and drop some carbide bombs in there. And you for those um, for those experienced geos, it's a it's like a calibration pill that you put down hole that'll show spike in a in in C two in um, in ethane. And that kind of went off uh, a little bit, but we had some suspicions that then that it wasn't working. But we only had gamma range cuttings to go on in that twelve and a quarter inch hole section, so we were we were really flying blind. And we didn't know what was going on. And then we drilled through that two hundred target, and we saw some nice clean sands, but nothing showed on the on the mud gas. So, and we didn't have the the, the resistivity tool because the, the the primary failed and the, and there was no backup. So, I was a little bit bummed in the you know when I was out there at the well site. But didn't want to show, you know, we had a, we had, um, we had our crew out there. Didn't want to show any emotion, and that that I was feeling, um, feeling despondent. Um, let's say that we hadn't, you know, hadn't, uh, and not to say that we should have seen anything, uh, should have seen something on the mud gas. But at that stage, we didn't know that it wasn't working. So, and then we got some speeding tickets, um, you know, where people were complaining that we that we were leaking results. And um, so I woke up five a.m. the one morning at, on the rig site and. You know, I had an ASX speeding ticket to go to, and <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't been watching the share price at all. You know, we'd we'd set the we'd set destiny in our own hands, and what we were doing on a day to day basis didn't didn't make a difference to the share price. Ultimately, we would, you know, what happened was going to be dictated by the results. But I knew that things weren't going well because, so I actively stayed away from looking at the share price because it, you know, it doesn't help me focus on on the job at hand and and, and doing concentrating on what, on what we need to to do. But knew that things weren't going well because of the abusive emails that I was that I was receiving. <laughs> so when we and the only the only time I knew what the share price had done was when we got these speeding tickets and it showed you you know what the price was. I was like, oh Jesus, this is this is going you know this is going really poorly. So you know that that was very very frustrating that that period where didn't think that things had gone um, as we'd hoped in that top two hundred target, and then we had um, you know some 
um, some unnecessary, um, you know, abuse from from people, um, and then accused of leaking and uh, having to answer, you know, ASX um, price and volume queries. So that that was a horrible period during during that um, during that phase, and and uh, so we finished up that that twelve and a quarter inch section. I was on the plane on the way back to Perth and was mentally writing the the kind of announcement on the on the plan home. And uh, right, we, you know, we've got this, we've still got the main target coming up. And then we ran the Y line. And I think I arrived home on the Saturday afternoon. Um, Saturday evening, I get a text message or a WhatsApp from the from the ops geo saying I think we've got something here. So he sent a screen cap of the of that um, that interval in the 200 nice clean gamma rays we'd seen on the on the LWD, but the resistivity went all the way over onto the right hand side, nice separation and the the um, the, the neutron uh, as well crossed over the density on that failed the, uh, on that run the um, the density sond. So all right, so we, now I'm like, oh, thank God the pressure's come off. You know, we've we've we're on to we're off to the races here, and it's just going to make the rest of the campaign so much easier having some some early success on our first target. Then so overnight they reran the, the the density tool in the second in the second run, and that came back, and we had a very very strange reading from it, very very high density reading. Um, about 2.9, which is very, very odd. You know, sandstone is 2.65. And when it's got gas in it uh, from a, uh, grams per centimeters cubed, and when it's got um, gas in it, it's lower because the, the overall density of it changes because gas is lighter than, um, uh, than brine in the, in the reservoir. So we were trying to, we were head scratching, trying to make, make sense of it, went through the cuttings. We had different cuttings descriptions from different well site geos and wasn't, wasn't sure if they'd been mixed up. So it was a real head scratcher. And, and ultimately, we looked at it and, and didn't think that the um, that we'd be able to get a, a sample out of it from a just because of the the porosity aspect because the density was so we've got a fun, we've got some funky mineralogy in there that um, is awaiting now some some testing, but um, what we subsequently discovered is the mud gas wasn't working. Um, so anyway, we had that tease in the first in the first whole section, the twelve and a quarter. And then we started drilling the um, the eight and a half inch section, and um, had a lot of issues with the cement jobs, with um, a lot of flat time because uh, because of the, the the cement jobs equipment wasn't ready. It broke down, so a lot of it was was incredibly frustrating. Where you you know you're just trying to get into your next whole section, do it efficiently, um, and get in and get out. So then we started drilling the eight and a half inch section, and we went through the base of the the forest, and then into the pebbly arcos, and we started taking these huge losses, um, total losses in, 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 um, in some of it. And the mud tank systems on the, on, on the 202 rig aren't that efficient. And so to make up a new batch of mud would take like 16 hours. And then you've got to, you've got to circulate all this, what's called loss circulation material down to try and plug it all up and stabilize the wells so that you can, you can carry on. And that happened about three times. And in one instance, we did that and we drilled another 17 meters and then it happened again. So. Mm -hmm. Um, so then on, I think on the Monday and we, we did that a few times and then, you know, I was, I, I was getting, uh, I was really now panicking because we, you know, we'd had a, an inconclusive result in the, in the 200, we were battling through the Pebliarco section. We didn't know whether we'd be able to actually complete the well. We started to run out of mud because it just kept disappearing. Hmm. So I was very, very nervous at the stage that we hadn't, you know, it looked, it looked like this was going to be a, a, a pretty ordinary result. So called everyone in together on the Monday morning and said, look, we can't, we can't just keep drilling 
17 meters taking total losses and do that. That's it's not a it's not a viable plan. So we had a look and how much further of the section we could go to, looked at lowering the mud weights and, and what we could do. Um, and eventually we managed to limp through the bottom of the of the Pebbly Arcos. And we saw, we saw, and, and we but just before that, we started to see some fluorescence, just some trace fluorescence in um in the um in the Pebbly Arcos. So we knew we would we were, you know, seeing some more encouraging signs at that at that stage. So then um we'd been whinging about the mud gas system and we said this thing is not working uh properly. And they'd sent some texts out and they said, no, 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 everything's fine. It's calibrated and it could switch on and then just really fade um, back down to, to minimum amounts. And then eventually we insisted, said, no, this has got to, this has got to be, there's something wrong here. Um, send someone out and, and and this needs to be fixed properly. Anyway, eventually, eventually it, it switched on and um and started working. And this was right just beneath the, the upper angle that we'd gone through, and we saw that lithology change. And all of a sudden, this thing switched on, and there was there was a decent amount of background gas. And so then we were we were happier that we were you know in an active um, petroleum system in the basin. So that was a huge sigh of relief. And we started to the, the top two hundred meters of the upper angle is a very very thick um, shale section. So we were still in that when the when the mud gas turned on. So we had, we got background gas through the shale, so we were more confident now. We, we knew there was reservoir beneath us, and that. We were in with a with a decent chance. So then, when we started going through the first uh, reservoir sections and the background gas, you know, we had huge elevated gas, but background. That's when I that's when I relaxed. And then when we got to that first kind of big show at three thousand and sixty seven meters, I think, and we saw one hundred percent fluorescence. I woke up uh, early in the morning, um, and I just had an email from my ops geo saying one hundred percent fluorescence in the you know at the step. So I was like. Oh. Thank God. So that, that 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 was that was huge relief um, from there, and we knew you know that that, that we had we had something viable. Um, but in amongst that were periods of just absolute um, uh, agony from an emotional perspective because it it um, you know felt like we were getting nowhere, particularly when we were taking all of those losses. We hadn't had anything promising. Um, the the equipment that we had wasn't functioning properly and, and it felt at some stage like we were drilling three different wells based on the data that we were getting mud gas gamma ray and um and lwd resistivity in the in the top of the eight and a half inch hole so that was um you know spent a lot of my time firefighting um trying to get stuff fixed instead of you know and 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 um rather than being able to kind of analyze the data and and be confident in it you know we couldn't hang our hat on anything that was the the frustrating bit when we were drilling is we didn't know what was ground truth. Uh, the only thing that we knew that was ground truth was the cuttings. Um, everything else just didn't make sense. But that's look frontier basin. You've got no reference point, so it's hard to, you know, it's it's hard to sort of feel where you're going. Um, but also probably the 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 hard part about it is that everything comes in in real time, and you can you know, a lot of sleepless nights looking at the phone, watching drilling TV, and the and the real time data coming in, and it's a it's a agonizing weight you know you just because you don't know what section you're going to drill through and what's coming next and there's always this you know is it is it just around the corner so it, yeah really um yeah really difficult period but some very very you know elated moments where where, where things finally started to sort of promising and then we had motor failures and resistivity tool failures again and we drilled through and then we saw, we logged it and got some good results and then um had some frustrations with the um, with the sampling tools, 
um, waiting because we, we mobilized a, a different type of tool um, based on what we'd seen and then deepening the world and we continue to see fluorescence and and, um, and gas stewards retirement obviously thrown in there um, and an AGM um, <laughs> and then um, and then the decision to sidetrack was also was also quite hard um, you know it's not something that you that you do likely but we'd seen enough promise and the reason that we did it was because of the we we had some we had some issues getting pretests um, in in some of these sections which were you know which looked very good and it didn't make sense good porosity good saturation values based on the on the wireline logs but we couldn't get any pretests out of it so we decided to shoot the VSP and then cut the sidewall cores and when the sidewall cores came out and we saw the the mud cake um, layer on it caused by the, the heavy mud weight and the high barite content we knew why and so we knew why we we, we were going to have a, a hard time. We tried to ream it out and, and break down the mud cake against the wall, and that didn't work. We didn't see any any of, of the, the mud, the filter cake being returned over the shakers. So we knew we if we were going to get a sample, we would have to drill a sidetrack and, and go into some clean hole section and with a lower solids mud. And that's what we decided to do. And then again, a frustrating time trying to kick off poor cement jobs where we, you know, we'd we'd start to kick off and then we'd just lose the cement and you know the drill bit would slide. 20 meters sometimes before we get to the next solid bit of cement and so you know again a lot of frustration with the with the sidetrack um and we we battled we had a top drive issue um what else happened oh so many <laughs> so, so many things went wrong um and I, and I thought at one stage we weren't going to be able to even even kick off the sidetrack and, and drill that and that was that would have been uh, been also you know pretty poor and eventually that worked um Drilled through it, and we saw a lot of a, a lot better drilling performance in the side track as well. And then, um, you know, again, managed to get the primary logs done, no problem whatsoever. And then issues with the with the sampling tools again, and and that that was um, that was hard um, to stomach because we knew that we were so close, and we you know based on what we'd seen, we should be able to get some some samples, and it and it just just didn't happen. And so that was that was a very very difficult um, kind of acceptance. And when Eventually, we had to to make the call where we've done all of these things. We're having these issues with our, our service provider and, and the reliability of tools, the competence of people, um, their interest in fixing things that aren't going right. Um, and the borehole had started to break down again because it had been open for such a long time, water-based mud. And it became a point of, we've got the primary logs. We know what's there in, in the rocks. Um, we can't get a sample, but um, and and the, the an unknown amount of time for how long it was going to take to repair the sampling tools and and when it would arrive. And based on previous guidance that we had for um, of when we eventually got tools there, and when they told us they would be there, we knew it was not going to be quick. Um, in which case, it it probably would have it probably would have um, collapsed in on us, and we would have planted. You know, we were lucky that we got that that tool out because that's mm. about four and a half five million dollars worth. Of, you know, complete, um, you know, complete waste of money in terms of planting a tool and not being able to recover it. It's, mm -hmm. you know, that's just salt in the wounds. So we had to make an adult decision as to, this is not, this is not working. It's not working with our service provider. It's not working in the current hole conditions. And we've got what we need from a log perspective. We don't, we can't meet the, the discovery criteria with a sample, but we've seen enough that, you know, we're happy from, from a, um, Petroleum systems point of view perspective, I'll use the discovery perspective uh, here as well, and that there are hydrocarbons in the rocks. Um, would it be nice to be able to, to 
have that confirmed and it, you know we'd, we'd be sitting having a completely different conversation obviously um but we, we had to make an adult decision to stop because it wasn't working um coming up into the heart of the rainy season um and and so we needed to come back reassess and, and regroup and and um and do it again so that that was a very very hard decision to make but in the end i think we we made the right decision um in hindsight, could we have suspended it and come back and, and flow tested it? Perhaps um, the whole conditions that we saw when we were when we were doing the PNA had deteriorated even even further. We had um, you know we had to push the the, the the pack elements all the way down to the bottom of the hole because we could, couldn't strip them. We had to push it down with a drill bit. And the two hundred two rig from a, a hook load perspective is is relatively small. Um, it's four hundred seventy five thousand pounds. So if you start to get your your liner stuck, your casing stuck, again, you know you you just sometimes throwing good money after bad. Um, and um, could we have done it? Yeah, we from a percentage point of view, maybe 50-50, but 50-50 decisions in this game can end up biting you and costing you an inordinate amount of time and money. So we thought it best to have a pause, learn some lessons, come back um, for the next campaign in a better position. Fortunately, in the background, we managed to negotiate um, an extension with with Exalo for, for the two hundred two rig to keep it on, um, keep it warm stacked, and that meant that um, the pressure of trying to deem over rig um, at the same time as, as as all the services was put off. And from an economic point of view, we can keep the rig stacked for eighteen or so months and be cost neutral versus demoving and and removing. So that that again was a was a, a straightforward decision. And Exalo were more than more than happy. It allows them to do some maintenance. Um, and um, and upgrades, particularly to the mud system, and uh, we save all the hassle of you know we had a, a difficult time with the mobilisation from Tanzania and having to send it there and then get it back from Tanzania, which was our obligation, was uh, was again something that from a from an effort and um, time point of view is a, is very consuming. So we've taken that off the table. Fortunately, from a cost perspective, it's roughly neutral for eighty well for eighteen months. You know, we should be ahead of that um, by that stage, and we get a better upgraded rig and. Um, in the meantime, I can concentrate on the drilling program, the well design services, um, et cetera. So um, overall, it's been a mix. And, you know, over the last few years as well, though, it, it, it's been hard. The highs and lows, you know, my family shared, shared all of this with me and they've been, they've seen, they've had a front row seat and, and that's also taken its toll um, over, over a period of time. Uh, you know, we, we are by ourselves, we don't have any family support um, in Australia. So it's, it's just just my wife and I and, and the two kids and that, um, you know, I'm kept away on the road for long periods. Um, and when I'm not at work, I'm consumed by work and thinking about it. So that's, that's also, I think, been something that, that now um, be more conscious of trying to build a team so that not everything falls on my shoulders. Uh, stressful period during that, during that phase. Cause you know, Stuart um, had basically um, checked out by early September with, with what was going on with him. So all of that kind of, all fell on me and all of the decision making of what we were going to do. So it was a, a stressful period, uh, and I think in in, in the pre drill, some of my pre drill commentary was this is going to be fun. Uh, you know, it's exciting drilling wells. It is exciting, but certainly one of the most stressful periods I've I've ever been through because of what was riding on the on the result from a success or failure point of view, um, from a reputational point of view for me and 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 um, and for the company. You know, I pinned pinned myself firmly to this, you know, to the outcome of, of what had happened by. It deciding to solve risk and, and, and solve fund through our shareholders, obviously. Um, but 
you know, it's a lot to a lot to fall on on one person's shoulders. So I felt probably um, accentuated highs and lows during that during that campaign. <laughs> but, um, looking back at it, um, we've had had some time to digest the results and, and look at it in the cold hard um, cold hard daylights and, and some of them and you know some of, some of the things we would do differently and we'll do differently for the next campaign and, and and other things you know it's part of part of drilling in a in a frontier basin where you never know what you're going to encounter and you have to adapt and um, you know it's it's um, as they say no no battle plan survives first contact and, and being adaptable. You've got to certainly be be able to do that in a in a remote location where you can't swap things in and out very easily. You've got to battle through, stick with it, do the best you can, um, and try and get the try and get to the end and get the results that you're looking for. So, sorry, I've, ram- I've rambled on for a no, long time there. No, that's perfect. I think that a lot of people are wanting to hear exactly what you're talking about, right? Because I think people really do this. Is I'm going to echo a comment made in the in the chat here, but yeah, people really do appreciate your your candidness, Scott. Right, that you're 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 rather forthcoming in your conversations. You're not just kind of giving us legal speak or kind of you know, speaking like a politician without too much concretely said. So yeah, we appreciate that. I mean, when you talk about it being all consuming and, and a huge kind of contrasting mix of emotions, you know, I'm feeling that as, a, as an investor a half a world away and I'm not the guy who's been doing this for 13 years of his life and like you say, pinned his entire life to it, right? And here you are, you know, one yard away from the end zone kind of thing and, and, and just kind of getting stymied, right? So no, we, I think everyone here is, is I mean, this is a fairly friendly chat, I'd say we're, Everyone here is rooting for you, and I, we appreciate just the fact that you take your time to actually be kind of human and honest with us. Um, I have two different kind of two different strands here that I'd like to touch on. Uh, one, I want to talk about, I guess, I just you know what what you think of the results versus what the market made of them. But maybe let's just put a pin in that and come back to those. I mean, so sure. you, you referenced this previously. You talked about lessons learned from Makuyu One in the sidetrack. Could you maybe just I mean clarify that? I mean, what do you what, what lessons are you bringing with you to? The next fudge, the next drill. What are you changing? You know, what what's what's what changes for you based on these results so that maybe you know next time is more more positive than it is frustrating. Sure. So so look, we've obviously learned a huge amount just from a, a subsurface point of view. Um, the geology of these various um, horizons that we've that we've penetrated, what to expect, um, uh, and I mean, we saw we saw some of that being implemented already with, with the sidetrack, and, and we had certainly a better drilling performance once we'd kicked off um, through the um, with the drilling of the sidetrack in terms of the speed. Didn't take any losses through the Pebiarcos because the mud weight was um, was lower um, from a geology perspective. Um, as I said, we will now have a, a much better well design in place of where to set our casing points um, and drill bit selection. Um, you know, again, you don't know what the rocks are going to be like when, when they're on the subsurface versus what they're at, at surface. So we've got a much better, you know, we've got calibration off of the rock hardness, um, the, the types of rocks we've encountered, what, and all that data that we've gathered, we'll be able to go and analyze now to pick bits, casing points. Um, the log data will help in calibrating the seismic and, and, and also um, will help in our volumetric estimates. Um, and then from an actual drilling side of things, again, um, some of the crew was, was green um, and hadn't done this before, particularly on the, you know, a lot of the foremen were all local, all from the, all from the, um, the local community, but they had an outstanding attitude and learned very, very quickly. Um, and we, we, I mean, to, we've successfully completed a well in a, in a um, frontier location as an operator without any input from, you know, from any JV partners. And, and, and typically we'd have bigger partners that would be policing and, and gold plating everything. Um, 
we had no incidents. So from a safety perspective, that, that worked very well. Um, <clears throat> but I think having the right, the right partners in terms of service companies and ones that are uh, more engaged, I think certainly the, the rationale for, for why we brought them on and, and, and what, and the structure of the contract was correct, but there's obviously a lot that we would change now going forward. So um, insisting on the, uh, I mean, we did, and, and the people that were supplied to us were, some of them were very good. Um, some of them left a lot to be desired, directional drillers that couldn't direction drill. Um, <laughs> we had, we had um, and this is an industry-wide problem at the moment. It's not It's not unique to us. There's a lot of issues with the, with the service sector at the moment because of the, one, there's been um, a lot more activity, and two, a lot of the good people have left the, um, the service industry because they were laid off and, you know, during COVID, a lot of them aren't coming back and or will only come back under specific conditions. We haven't reached that, that yet. Um, I think from a logistics point of view, certainly we've learned, we've learned a tremendous amount about what works, what doesn't. Um, and, um, yeah, I think from an operational perspective, we've now got better, a better handle on how specific sections will drill. Um, from a, uh, a speed, an ROP, rate of penetration point of view, um, where the tricky bits are, what we need to look out for, and also which horizons we need to focus on too. So we, you know, this well design, which was deviated, was designed to, to try and hit as many targets as we could because we, you know, we didn't know how many goes we'd get at this. Certainly if we, if we didn't find anything, it's unlikely we'd have been drilling any more wells in, um, in the basin. And so that, that means that you don't want to have any regret of, well, if we, maybe if we focused on this one and you'd seen something um, that was maybe off structure or, or, um, or residual and you thought, well, if we drill this in a better location, we would have had a different result. So we didn't want to have any regrets about not, not hitting some targets. Um, so certainly I think a simpler well design for the next, um, next round of drilling and um, we'll be in a much, much better position overall. Maybe I'll just ask, I mean, so new service provider, obviously you're not going to announce anything right now, but do you, could you maybe just tell us, you know, as much as you can in generalities, you know, what, where you are in that process and when we, when the market might expect an update? Sure. So we've had, we've had conversations with them already and they've been following our, our, our campaign as well and been engaged. I think one of the difficulties when we went out to tender for the first campaign, the logistics aspect was, was unknown. Um, Things were still pretty tough. We, you know, we did. We went out for the tender in, I think, September twenty-one, for, for services. Maybe earlier than that. I think we'd had some conversations before that, and so we got a lot of a lot of um, ordinary bids because service companies don't want to underbid, and then you know you're facing an unknown logistics aspect, which can rack up pretty quickly. Um, so a lot of them, the, the bid for the services and the and the rentals for the equipment was okay. But the logistics aspect was was ludicrous. The the markups that were on that, so they were almost they priced themselves out of out of contention. So now with this round um, of tenders, obviously we can point people to exactly what's what's required. Um, a lot of it we can handle ourselves, and we ended up having to handle ourselves as well because that's the only way it would have got done if we you know if we kept on relying on on our service provider, we would have never got gotten a lot of things that we that we needed um, and that were. You know, necessary, and we had, you know, we still had today's um, because of the tardiness. So that process has started. Um, generally speaking, they they need a number of weeks to respond to tenders, and then it's the availability of of equipment. and And some things are in more short supply than others, particularly um, 
you know, things like wireline tools, LWD, that's in short supply at the moment industry-wise because they haven't made any new tools since, um, you know, probably since the 14, 15 uh, period um, prior to the previous downturn. And they've been junking a lot of stuff uh, and not manufacturing new tools. Industry just started to pick up again in 18 or 19 and then COVID came along in 2020 and, and stymied that. So they're only just kind of getting around to, to doing it now. So again, previously where there were more than enough tools available, they put them on boats. Now they won't put them on boats because there's a shortage of them and you've got to fly them everywhere. So that's become a, a more expensive endeavor um, as well. They want them in um, uh, being productive and they also want to minimize that, that transit time that they have. So that's that's become harder to, to secure tools. And now you're competing globally for a lot of stuff where particularly LWD, which goes to the US, um, which is used there, not so much in Um So we had, to, you know, we had to we had to fly tools in from Houston um, to to utilize in, in, in our drilling campaign. So it's not you don't have the big regional bases available to us like you do in Australia, like you do in um, in the Middle East and in North America. We've got a Africa and particularly Southern Africa is a is a lesser focused region because of the lower amount of, of activity. Um, typically, they've got to beg and borrow from other other regions to get exactly what you need. So being more prepared this time, um, we know exactly what we need. And um, but they've got to now look at their availability and the scheduling of what they've committed to, which will dictate really when when we can drill again. So, well, once we get responses, then we can um, then we can give the market an update because that's that's really what's going to be dictating our um, our timeframes. Okay, so yeah, and still, still very much kind of fluid situation under negotiation. So no, no real timelines yep. there to, to provide. Yeah, and, and look, pro pro probably also adding to that is we, you know, with the with the new board that's come in, we want to run through the strategy and the rationale of what's coming through, have their buy-in, or, or suggest alternatives so that we can, you know, we're all going um, with the with an endorsed plan back back to our shareholders. Mm -hmm. I might just jump around. This is a few pages, a couple pages ahead here, but LWD, is that something you might anticipate for, for the next drill? For the next drill? <clears throat> well, we, we did have LWD and we had it, we had it planned. So <laughs> the, the LWD that we had um, was for gamma ray and resistivity. So gamma ray allows you to differentiate between shale and sand and resistivity on your fluid content in your, in your reservoir. So that was the plan. We had a failure um, of the primary tool in um, in the twelve and a quarter, and the backup wasn't um, wasn't at the well site when we were told it was. So when that happened, we said, "Look, we've got the eight and a half inch hole coming up. What you know?" So then we had to actually handhold and say, "Right, we've got we're running casing. Once we finish this twelve and a quarter inch hole, have you got everything for the casing? Have you got everything for the cementing job? Have you got everything for the wire line? And then for the eight and a half inch, what have you got? Primary backup? Where is it?" And they said, "Oh well." You know, we got all that stuff and, and the backup for the eight and a half inch resistivity is coming. So we, we said, okay, well, where is it? Oh, it's being used in Mexico at the moment. And um, so you said, okay, well, we need to have a look at the timing for mobilizing the backup because there's no point in mobilizing it, paying the mobilization charge and the rental if it's not going to arrive in time. And so that's what ended up happening. Um, where by the time it would have been mobilized, we would have finished drilling that section. And it, and it, and it nearly worked out that way. The primary tool worked from the, the top of the eight and a half inch hole down to where we saw that that first gas show that, that we announced in the fluorescence. And then um, and then it had a mechanical issue. One of the, the, the sleeves on the outside had worn away and we couldn't run it again. And then we only had another, you know, 500 meters or so to drill. So uh, it wouldn't, 
it, it, it was nearly okay, but then it wouldn't have been available for the deeper section and then for the sidetrack. And by that stage, it had then gone somewhere else. So we did have LWD planned, um, but LWD tools are very expensive uh, from a rental perspective. Um, and if you're getting anything more sophisticated than gamma ray and resistivity, if you're going to density and neutron, mm. that's very expensive. And then if you're going to fluid sampling, um, you know, tools like stethoscope and um, which is the Schlumberger, I can't remember what the Baker one's called. Um, those are hellish expensive to run and we didn't know what we were going to encounter. And so running those tools, having them on rental and on standby for the very first while that you drill in the basin is aggressive um, from, a, from a, a strategy and a financial perspective. And as we always said, your primary evaluation method is through wireline uh, because you get much um, LWD. The resolution that you get is over, you know, it's average over a two meter, um, you know, roughly uh, sort of interval. Whereas wireline for some of the tools, you know, you're talking centimeters. So the, the resolution of the data that you get from wireline is what you need um, from an evaluation perspective. LWD will, will give you some some information, but you're not you're not building the stuff back into your um, into your models and into your analysis. You really need that high resolution wireline data, which is which is always the um, always what you're going to go and get. And we did get a very good primary. Logs, log suite of gamma ray, resistivity, density, neutron, and um, and resistivity. So from from that perspective, that that data gathering was fine. Uh, it was really the the fluid sampling that, that that let us down. So you can go in with a more aggressive LWD, but at the end, we're going to get the same data from from the wireline and, and better resolution and a more cost effective manner. So that's that's the route that we that we chose to go. Um, from a from a future wireline perspective, we're probably then adding more sophisticated and more bespoke tools like FMI or formation uh, image log. Um, and then also, you know, potentially things like NMR, your nuclear magnetic um, resonance tool, which um, gives you a, it's a different porosity measurement um, and free fluid and bound fluid. So again, these are things now that we've had the success that we're more confident going into and we know exactly why we're using them. And it's not just, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of tools that you can throw at data acquisition programs that weren't, really deliver value for money at the end of the day. And that's what we were trying to do with the, with the first campaign. Make sure that we got the right data set, but do it in a cost-effective manner. How close to, were you? This is uh, just a brief question here. How close were you to budget? Obviously with the sidetrack, I'm going to guess initial budget got exceeded, but where were you with that? Do you, do you have a number how much that it cost in total? Yeah, so pre-sidetrack, we were, we were tracking pretty well. I think if you follow the, the number of days that we said we would drill the, drill the primary uh, well in and, and where it came in we were you know we were on budget from from there it was a sidetrack that um you know that um exceeded the budget um that's on paper where we end up um in reality will you know this this there's still um there's still some disputes to be had for for some of the some of these things and um you know certainly we're not going to be paying full tote for for a lot of the services that um were weren't provided <laughs> yeah fair enough eh? and that's always a fun conversation too i'm sure so why don't why don't we transition here to you want to the results? I mean, I, I guess this is a I'm not sure how to, to structure this or frame this, but I mean, I guess do you, is there anything that you want to talk about? I mean, when you saw the market's response, obviously you can expect you know I think the term you used in previous discussions was a dream deferred. Right? <coughs> I, think, I think that remains a fairly accurate statement so far. Short term punters, right? They're gonna they'll be off and moving on to the next shiny thing, right? But I mean, do you think that the the market is appreciating what's there, or or, or can you kind of speak to a discrepancy between what you think is there or what you understand versus what the market understands, or what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So, look, I, I think there has been a fundamental misunderstanding of, uh, 
you know, of what we found and um, and of the results. And I think that was reflected in the in the share price response when we when we came out um, early in the year with the you know essentially with the with the final result or, or resulting or stating that we couldn't continue with the with the food sampling. So people have interpreted this as us not finding anything. Where and I've heard words like duster used and couldn't be further from the truth. So what's happened is we've got the primary logs that show hydrocarbons in the rocks. Um, doesn't matter what picture physical parameters you use, you can't you can't kill that. We had fluorescence, hundred percent fluorescence. We had elevated mud gas. Um, the cuttings, isotubes, um, the gas chromatograph, and, and um, showing that um, you know lined up with what the cuttings we were seeing and the and the shows that we had reservoir intervals while unlocks. So there are hydrocarbons in the rocks that is unequivocal and not up for debate. Quite frankly, if you ask anyone to look at look at the logs, they'll they'll tell you that. What we had was a failure of equipment that didn't allow us to extract a fluid sample to surface. Um, Probably let me explain it this way. That from a discovery point of view, you have to prove movable hydrocarbons, right? The way that you do that is through a well test or through a, a wildland formation sample that you gather, where you physically pull them out of the rocks and bring them to surface. We've got hydrocarbons. We couldn't prove that they were movable because of failure of the of the wildland formation testing tool. So that's that's where I think the the misunderstanding has has come, where it's not a it's not a geological issue. This is a tool. Um, a tool issue. Yeah, and it's just such a such a tantalizingly close thing, right? Uh, can you? I mean, does this based on the information is that that Makuyu one provided to you? Are you in a position that you can update the chance of success numbers, or is that a work in progress, or what's missing for that to maybe change? <clears throat> well, from a, from a from a chance of success um, number for for Makuyu one, that's that's one. That's you know that's that's a hundred percent. So um, if we're talking about in the upper Angua, a hundred percent. If we're talking in the in the Pebiacos, we've we've had um, some hydrocarbons migrate through there. We've got some residual saturation in, in some of those units. Um, from a from a forest point of view, we saw very little reservoir um, at that particular location. And from a dandy point of view, again, we had that result in the two hundred where. It looks like we've got hydrocarbons on the rocks, but we've got some very funky mineralogy associated with the fault plane and where we are in that location. So again, trap works, reservoirs, good. Looks like we've got saturation in there. It's reservoir um, quality and effectiveness at that location. So the chance of success, though, going forward from an appraisal perspective, um, we haven't done the maths yet. I guess you can look at it from where we, in the previous announcement that we made on, on an update of the results, where we've kind of looked at a postmortem of of where we were pre-drill for the, all those elements and where we are post-drill source rock perspective, fantastic source rock that we penetrated and lots of it seal. I think that is that's now. If you look at your chance factors, that's now at one hundred, um, where we are very effective seal reservoir. Again, um, it's present and in in most of those units and, and in the angwa. It's called the alternations member because you've got these alternating cycles of source seal and reservoir. So we've got. 11 intervals that we had in, in um, and they're roughly sort of mega or, or super cycles of about 100 meters each, where you go from the one unit to the top of the one unit to the base, and then you get into the next cycle. Um, so those would be different in, in the different um, different horizons. So that's where we're going to um, mm. in Makuyu 2. 
in the Bangla, you know, that our, our chance of success now, um, I don't think anyone, from an appraisal perspective, it's still not 100%, obviously. Um, there's still risk associated with it. But certainly those other elements now have, have been dramatically upgraded. And, and going into this pre-drill, source, uh, you know, the source quality and, and, and presence, we, we mapped it and sampled it at outcrop. That was what's uh, probably anywhere between 40 and 60 kilometers away. So that's quite a long um, quite a long distance then to say, well, we've got it over here and it's going to be 40 kilometers away and we can say that with, with certainty. Well, we've, not, we've not proven that in the, and what we're seeing in outcrop does continue. And then the same with seal, that we didn't see a lot of seal um, at outcrop, but we've seen a lot of it in the subsurface and that's where it counts. So that's... Um, and then trap, obviously, we've got traps all over the basin and, and, and um, you know, that, that's okay. It's the containment that we were always worried about. Um, and that was the, the seal effectiveness. And with, with the amount of faulting that you can see on the, on the seismic, there was a concern that even if it did generate hydrocarbons, if it migrated to the reservoir, you have this up, this, um, this up thrust, which has now opened up these faults and potentially it's all leaked and migrated away. But, you know, we've proven that that's not the case either. So certainly from a, from a chance of success perspective of where we were looking at in some of these horizons, which were, you know, in the low teens, um, pre-drill, that's, you know, that's probably gone up. But again, I'll let my, I'll let my geos and our, and our independent people do it. I won't give you a number, but it's certainly well north of where, of where we were pre-drill. No, yeah, that's yeah, totally acceptable and exciting for sure. I guess another kind of similar question here, just coming from, from people that are asking, uh, will you be releasing net pay numbers once the data is processed, even if there is a margin of error involved with that? Um, and then potential timeline or expectation of when that might be, if yes. Yeah, so the, the, the samples have just arrived at, at the lab. Now we've actually got a, a session this afternoon with, um, with them. And that took a long time to get the export permits granted and we were waiting for the sidetrack um, to be completed with the cuttings um, so we could send everything in one go. And then we ran into Christmas and New Year period and trying to get anything from a government department for export permits mm -hmm. over that period is um, is near on impossible. So that's that's finally arrived now. So um, I think also it's still going to be, it's still going to be a little while depending on what analysis we're talking about. So some stuff you'll get quickly. Uh, we've got a range of analysis that we'll be conducting. So we've got the reservoir samples that we gathered. So. Um, I think there's roughly, or maybe eight or ten or ten samples of, of reservoir, and remember we're we're looking at a core plug that's say four or five centimeters long, maybe three centimeters in diameter, and that's one point along a wellbore that is, you know, in, in the eight and a half inch section is fifteen hundred meters. So it'll provide us with some calibration, but it's not going to solve everything because it's just one point, and even even if you take a a reservoir interval, if it's, you know, 10 or 20 meters, whatever the case is, you've just got, you know, one little plug along that point to calibrate your logs on. So it'll give us some information um, and maybe swing it over, but that will still take a long time to pin down. Um, but we'll be able to get other things, the electrical measurements from it, um, cross any permeability, at least get some handle on it. Um, certainly better informed than what we are now. Um, and it will allow us to have some conservative net numbers um, again we can't we can't overrig this and i've always been of the um the opinion that you should be building from a conservative base and going up rather than throwing a huge big hail mary out there and trying to get to that point and and you're always reaching i think some 
some companies that, that we've seen put up very aggressive numbers and they never reach them, then your independent resource estimate has come along and the big internal numbers that you put up all of a sudden are half or a third of what you've been telling the market and then you look like a look like a Muppet. So <laughs> that's not um that's not what we're about. Um so we'll we'll have we'll have some we'll have some clarity from from the cycle course. But again, it's a very, very small sample set based on, you know, we've got 11 reservoir intervals um, out of that section, excluding the stuff that was deeper in when we deepened the well um, down to 3,900 metres. There were another, I think, three or four um, reservoir units in there. So we're not going to have a calibration for everything. We're going to have a calibration for some of the, the high-graded points that we picked. Um, but with the... Um, with the cuttings that we've got and with the cycle course for the source um, source interval that we've picked, that'll give us a lot of information on the uh, on the source rock quality because that's more of a uh, – there's less variation in that um, and you can infer it on a, on a much wider scale than a single log point because you're looking at, at its generation capacity, at its um, total organic content, vitronite reflectance. So that, that kind of stuff will get a lot more useful information out of. And we've got to age date these things as well. I mean, we still, it's just been <clears> what age these rocks are. And now we've got some subsurface data and, and um, we'll be able to get some palynology and some of the bugs and plant information out of it to give it a proper proper age. And that will then help us calibrate our basin model and um, figure out where the oil that's been generated has gone. Um, so there has been oil generated in this basin and we always thought there would be. Uh, so I've seen that for essence. And we think potentially we've seen a, a paleo contact in um, in the original wellbore because we saw higher gas content in the sidetrack, which was slightly up dip, versus what we saw and, and less lower liquids contact um, versus what and what we saw in the in the motherboard. So that's also been quite a quite an interesting revelation. And maybe maybe we've picked that spot on the seismic, and that's that's what's showing us um, in that location. But it, again, these are just early early sort of thoughts. Um, so we'll have we'll have that lab data and the various things take a bit of time depending on what analysis that you're that you're doing on them. So um, again, back to the reservoir samples, we'll be able to get some. These are the, the big boy cores, the max cores. Um, so we'll be able to do spatial core analysis on them, which will give us saturation data and and those sorts of things, which will help back up the the um, you know the saturation estimates as well. So that that's been that's been good that we've got those those big sidewall cores because you with the smaller with the standard ones you can't you can't do spatial core analysis on them um, and with percussions. When you, so these are the mechanical ones that we cut out of the rocks rather than you shoot them and pull them out, which tends to crush the, the grains and they're, and they're pretty poor for anything. But, um, you know, just just looking at and having a gander. So, um, so yeah, that'll filter in over the next weeks and, and months. But you've got to do them in a specific order um, because you've, you've got to wash them and clean them and prep them for that analysis. And um, you don't want to alter their native state too much either. We also get hydrocarbon extracts out of some of the the middle points of the of the um, of the plugs, which haven't been as exposed and drift away. So we'll be able to calibrate what's in the source, what we see in the reservoir, along with the mud gas isotopes as well that we've that we've collected. So there's a lot of analysis to come. It doesn't all happen overnight, though. I know people are anxious and and, and eager to to learn more. Um, but the main the main data suite that we've got from this is the wildland data. Yeah, no, thank yes. you. Very yeah, exciting and yeah, just a challenging moment here. But I will it's, I'll pass it off to Jamie here. This we're just starting to talk about geology, and that's where I start to be a little bit more useless than I usually am. So I'll pass it off to Jamie here. Jamie, if you want to take it over from here and, and ask some more well, technical technical questions. I'll try. Um, 
Yeah, you mentioned the, the core sampling. So you took samples in the reservoir. Um, you mentioned the source rock intervals. Mm -hmm. How many, you took eight to 10 in the reservoir. How many did you take in the, the source rock? Um, Is it considerably more or just kind of no, Yeah, I think we took, I think we cut 24 overall. We, we recovered 24 out of 27. Um, which are, which is pretty pretty good from a from a performance point of view and, and statistically sometimes you do have a lot of issues cutting cutting cycle cores and you get poor recoveries out of them. Um, I think we've roughly got a similar number for um, the source and then um, some for seal and some other interesting things where we don't quite know what they are based on the okay. on the log data and, and and the cuttings data and those are not academic um, but just to understand what what they are and and some of it will be. Um, be useful for both edge dating, you know, particularly the the source intervals um, and paddy. That's one of my main my main questions on the rocks. Really, was um, what kind of do you have any sense on what deposition environments these are? You know, marine versus non-marine broadly, or yeah. So we we're 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 in interior basin, so there's no marine, um, or certainly not not that not that we've seen or ever ever thought to see. So this is all. The, the primary depositional environments, and depends what horizon we're talking about now, but you're looking at, genu at generally uh, fluvial, fluvial deltaic, uh, paludial, so swampy environment. That's where we get a lot, a lot of the source rock from, and the castrine as well. So we've seen um, seen all of that um, amongst the you know the various horizons that we that we're talking about. So um, and then you you taken by stratigraphic samples or stuff for palynology. We have so the, the stuff at the at the surface is sometimes hard to date, um, just because it's weathered and all the all the bugs that you and, and plant material that you use to date it has has been eroded away. So we have got both the cuttings and also some um, you know some of the cycle cores, and we'll use the trim ends when we prepare them to um, you know to go to go and do that. So that'll also help us get a handle on the the timing of when when each of these horizons was formed from a um, its evolution in the basin. Um, timing the uplift and, and timing of generation and charge from, from the source rock as well. That's all information that we'll be able to get now and calibrate our basin models because, I mean, up, up until we drilled, it was really, this is all academic um, and all just modeling uh, of what of what had happened and a lot of different um, hypotheses. So now we will be able to, to calibrate that in a much more definitive way. And, and that will help us. Uh, as I mentioned, we, we've got some oil that's been generated. Um, and it's been in the structure, and we need to. We'll now be able to try and figure out where it's gone up to, um, whether that's gone to the base of margin play or further to the east, um, or if we, or if it's a little bit under, um, which we which we think it may be as well in some of these reservoir units. That's all going to help us now and, and get a much much um, better calibration on the history of the basin. Okay. So you think you encountered the source rocks that are giving you the oil, or those could be. You know, in the lower angle, perhaps, or a mixture. Well, I guess. Yeah, we think it's a mixture. So we we always from the again, this is pre-drill. The basin modeling that we'd done suggested that it was generating present day on structure and in the oil window. Um, but talking to our our, um, our petroleum systems modeler, she believes that a lot of this charge has come in laterally as well. Um, but again, a combination of the of the mud gas isotubes tubes that we've got and the source rock. Um, that we've got will help us determine where it's come from, whether it's lateral migration, whether it's self, you know, self, um, self sourcing, um, because we've got some quite high carbonaceous content in, in these source rocks that we've seen. Um, 
a lot of collie sections in there as well. So again, a, a, an indication of the depositional environment being kind of palugial and lacustrine, um, much thicker source rock intervals than, than, than we modeled before. So again, that's a good thing. Um, and we still got the down dip, or, or the, not down dip, but remaining um, upper angle that we didn't penetrate in this um, in this world because it was thicker than we expected. So, um, so again, all of this will help us, help us calibrate that story and, and determine, um, and the charge history is, um, I think I mentioned it in our, um, in, in the results webinar is, is quite complicated because it has been through the oil generation window into the gas generation window, back up into the oil generation window and had multiple phases of, of charge. And um, so that, you know, that again, we'll be able to get a much better handle on once we get all these results in. Is your kind of primary target the Anguist still, like uh, for follow-up drilling uh, in the key? Yeah, and we've always, you know, this has always been our, our primary target from, from day dots. And if you go right back to the beginning, one of the, our, our, our primary um, hypothesis about this basin of why it was different to the other uh, permatriasic basins and Karoo basins in the, in the region and why we've always liked it is because of the upper Angua and the presence of source rock in the Triassic. And that's what's been a big difference in where you've made discoveries and where you haven't. And this, and this has played out now where we are. So the analogs that we were throwing up um, prior to drilling were in Madagascar, where you've had um, the big onshore uh, discoveries there. You've got um, Bella Minogue, which are the tar sands, uh, which are several billion barrels. Cimarora, the heavy oil field, which has been developed by Madagascar oil, that's around a billion barrels uh, or so. And then if you go further north, you get to... Um, so this is in the Morondava Basin. If you get into the Mandaza one well, the shell drill, that's like oil and gas. So we think it's a, uh, from an age perspective, you're in the, the Sakoa, which is equivalent in the, in the Permian to Amakanga. And then you've got the, the Sakamina um, age, or the Sakamina interval, again, similar to the, to the upper Angua. And then you've got the Asalo sandstones, which is, again, we've got a very, very good comparison um, now in, with, um, with Madagascar and presence of heavier, um, heavier ends and also lighter, depending on where you are in the, from a thermal maturity point of view of the source rock. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was Ethiopia as well in the, in the Ogaden, which again is the, the box shells in the, in the Triassic, which is the source there. So that's what, what we've always liked. Most of the other bases in the Karoo don't have that Triassic source rock interval, and that's why they haven't worked. Um, you haven't had, you've got some smaller Permian, uh, uh, Permian coal charge gas intervals, um, but nothing, nothing really that's kind of stood out commercially. Uh, so this has always been our focus on the primary target for for us because you've got that Triassic source. Yeah, yeah it's interesting you mentioned the cyclicity um, in the alternations number because that's something you could maybe play around with across the basin once you get a handle on the packages. Um, going back to the the core, you mentioned that you you do have actual oil samples contained within the core. Um, I guess they were wrapped when you when you took the course. That's, yeah, so, so we should we should have oil. no, no, it's not, it's not produced oil. So so those will be the the remnants that are in the cycle cores, and they they've been wrapped immediately, so that we can we can preserve that. And those um, those should we should still have some um, left in that pore space. So once they are, yeah. um, so we're trying to uh, obtain those extracts out of the core to then tie back to the source rock. Um, and what we've seen from um, the mud gas isotubes and um, and everything else. So, okay. Um, kind of finally on the geology part of Makui One, 
Did you encounter any kind of igneous intrusions or anything? You know, they're kind of, you get them in the crew kind of regionally, I guess. Um, did you encounter any drilling? No, so no, no, no intrusions whatsoever, and and there aren't many around in the basin. There's a there's a handful of them in the in the east, um, which is Jurassic Age and similar to some of the other basalts that you that you see further west in the Mid Zambezi Basin. Um, but again, one of the reasons that we always rated this basin is because of the lack of intrusives in it, which typically alter your thermal gradients, can affect your reservoir quality, um, and also take up a bit of your sedimentary pile. So this this basin is from a sedimentary point of view, one of the deepest going around, it's got 12 to 16 kilometers of sedimentary fill in it um, yeah. without any intrusives in the in the fairway that we're playing in. Um, so we've always, and we, we can't see really any on seismic either. Um, so we don't, you know, we, we don't get this, the, the, the seismic signatures. Just right where the basin starts to, to outcrop in the east, we've got um, the, the Jerema basalt, as it's called. Um, which is a little bit over the surface, but but not much. But yeah, not not from a. Um, um, and moving on to the geophysics side, you mentioned that you took a VSP in the well. Was that the? Yep. Did you do the whole well before you sidetracked, or just part of it? No. So we did. We we did. Um, we didn't do the deeper section when we drilled ahead from because you couldn't get the the logging tools down um, below three thousand meters. So we did basically the entire eight and a half inch section and the majority of the 12 and a quarter because we had a um we had cement um so we basically did it to top of cement in the 12 and a quarter yeah. um but we've got velocity data um and sonic data from um from the logs from um, okay. in the 12 and a quarter and, and eight and a half so given that you in my interpretation is you found kind of a lot more shale in the well where you said that yourself so what impacts is that going to have on the, the velocity model you know you've got to speed everything up which puts brings pushes stuff up and down you know it does so again going into this pre-drill the 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 conventional wisdom um from all the academics who looked at the space and and, and um some other commentators um always said that there's so much sand in the space and that there's no seal around um you know containment and is going to be your biggest issue so even if you do have seal how widespread is it? How effective is it? And um, you know, with, with the uplift that you can see and, and, and the faulting in the seismic, there's no ways that this is going to is going to hold together. And we saw, I mean, we saw a lot of seal in, in this in this basin and, and very very um, effective. So what we've seen at outcrop from a from a and look, it, it's hard to calibrate an outcrop because it's, a lot of it's buried under this quaternary cover, sort of 50 meter thick Halahari sand, and it only gets exposed in the river in the riverbeds that cut through and wash that away and you get that exposure. So we see some seal at surface and we've got cap rock measurements and, and everything else, but we'd see more reservoir at surface than we had seal, but often that gets eroded away um, as well compared to reservoir. So certainly more seal in the space than we expected. But again, that's that was our primary risk mm -hmm. going into this. So that that's now being, you know, essentially removed. But it will, <clears throat> it will now help us now that we've got Sonic data and 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 um, and VSP data, very detailed from the from the wireline, that'll then help us calibrate our, our seismic because we were just doing it as these big packages over, you know, and 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 basically using um, using the seismic data and and um, and average velocities over those intervals rather than very very detailed um, discrete packages that we that we've now been able to 
to log in and, and know what's what. So again, it's, you know, from the data that we had available to us pre-drill versus what we have post-drill are, are completely different. Um, I guess the burning question is, you know, what are the next steps? Are you gonna, you mentioned acquiring 3D seismic data before um, drilling the next well, is that still the plan? Or would you do maybe some more 2D to infill? Or you know, what's the, the plan with the seismic versus the next spot, I guess? Yeah, so we're looking at we're looking at um, 3D for for Maku, um, as well as the infill 2D um, to the east. I think I've mentioned before we ran out of time um, and money, and, and we were still risking it at that stage. And we didn't have title. We were you know we were still we were still doing this dance with um, with governments on this on this acreage expansion, and and it was supposed to be done before we started shooting, and then whilst we were shooting, and it didn't get done, it became too risky to to spend more money without without that certainty of title, but anyway, we got there in the end. So we see some really nice leads in the east, um, Masumu, Mopani, and, um, and Macabell that um, have these quite extensive flat spots that we see. They're shallower, um, less faulted. So those look, and it's a continuation of the of the play type in that central fairway that, that's been proven up by Makuyu. So we're debating as to whether we shoot 3D on Makuyu and then with the benefit of that 3D, then go and drill Makuyu 2. Do we just go and drill it without 3D, um, as is, or do we shoot um, shoot some more 2D in the east and drill one of those and try to extend the play uh, a little bit further, or do we go to the basin margin and open up a brand new play with with um, with Baobab or one of the others, um, the other prospects that we have along the basin margin? So there's a few a few things kind of and a few options swirling around at the moment, which is a good thing. You know, we're not we're not pigeonholed into doing one thing and only got you know one one thing to shoot at essentially um which is and that's because we've got a, a big portfolio of prospects and leads and and um and different play types as well which is a luxury when you're when you're in a in a junior and and, and got the running room and control of the basin so again once we get everyone better down from a from a board perspective and a, and um having an exploration manager as well join the team um and again that's to help focus on the technical aspects and take take some of that burden um, away from me so it can get the time and attention um, that it needs because I've become a bit of a bottleneck um, in the company where everything is getting fed through me and, and some some decisions are taking longer than they than they should be because there's a lot of competing things from a time perspective for me. Um, judging corporate stuff, technical stuff, government relations, mm -hmm. PAC, um, etc. So is the size thing something you could do regardless of the kind of well activities and that you could commit to yeah, doing can, the seismic surveys and also it's not contingent on the seismic to drill the next well that's kind of my point does, does that make sense no i mean you don't look you don't have to you don't have to have seismic could, to drill well just ask because yeah, you could just drill the well right next door to where you just drilled it right we we, 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 we could um <clears> you could drill you could drill the q1a for example uh one yeah. x or whatever your naming convention is but i think to do that, we wouldn't gain any new information from the wireline. That would be purely just to go and get a, um, a fluid sample. So we wouldn't learn anything new from a, from a geology or geophysics perspective by drilling Makuyu 1A in that, in that mm -hmm. sense. And so that's why now stepping out and going, and going further away is, um, I think, is the right move. Um, but again, we'll have this. We'll have this debate, and and get the once the new board and and, and everyone is is bedded in this week. We'll we've got a, a strategy session to decide, you know, what what the option is we're going to take forward. So it's important to have that. 
would stepping out require a new well site or can you do this from the current well site that you have prepared no we'd like to we'd like to step out at you know at least um at least a couple of k's away uh it's a big structure you know so if we if we only mm-hmm. step out from from where we are and use the same pad we're not going to get very far and it'll take a take a long time to to appraise McCoo in that in that fashion so whether we stick on the southern flank where we are now possibly uh or we go over north to the next to the next big fault block um again that's stuff we've got to look at now but um we'll have a much better handle on it once the the velocity data has been processed and being integrated back into the seismic and and we can start drawing some better conclusions from um from what the seismic looks like once you have that data are you going to look at doing a kind of revised source estimate sorry a resource estimate we could do um again this is just based on one on one single well um and whether it's going to change your your resource estimates or not i don't i don't know is it a worthwhile exercise um did you see any did you see any fluid contacts in the in the well like oil down seas or oil water or sorry gas kind of contacts it's we we as I mentioned I think you know potentially we've gone through a, a paleo uh, oil contact in the in the motherboard where we've seen a, a change in the in the fluorescence content and also then in the in the saturation profile and when we drilled up to it and went through that same same reservoir we didn't see as much fluorescence um, in there and we saw higher gas content so we think potentially that that's been a been a paleo contact um, mm-hmm. prior. Um, we didn't. We saw some sands that, um, again, with the lack of calibration, we've got of our fluid data with the resistivity. Potentially, we've got some low contrast light oil um, pay in some of these these units. But without getting fluid gradients or samples, that's you know we can't say. But certainly, we had fluorescence through it, elevated mm-hmm. resistivity, but not as much as what we saw in the gas zones. Um, but no, nothing, nothing distinct from a from a contact point of view, but. Again, going back to the depositional environment of being fluvial, you're going to get these reservoir units that come and go, and then unlikely to be all connected as one big pool. Well, that could be one benefit of a 3D survey is imaging those channels, especially given that it appears to be relatively kind of moderate net to gray system. So maybe the channels will stand out, and you can yeah, they'll, they'll tell you where to drill. You know, build that picture for the basin of where the reservoir units are. Yeah, exactly. Because we've had, you know, we've had the outcrop and what we've seen there, um, and what we've seen in the in the in the well, and we've we, certainly there were there were more. Um, it was more cyclical than we thought. Um, you know, if you look at all the literature, there were kind of two or three mega cycles of um, of source and, and reservoir, and we saw probably smaller um, <clears throat> smaller cycles, but more of them um, in the upper Angua. But again, we haven't seen the same probably um, high net to gross packages that we saw at outcrop either. So again, it, given the size of the structure, it's unlikely that we penetrated this in the best spot with a first well. Um, almost yeah. certainly we haven't. And so that's also the, the thinking of the 3D and previous experience that we've had and our and our team has had in these kind of depositional environments is that with the with the 3D, you know, at the moment we've just got vertical slices that we're looking at. 2D, whereas from the 3D, once it's all put together, you can slice it horizontally, and that's where you can image the channels. Um, you can make your attributes. Exactly. So you could also look at, um, I guess, the porosity. I think someone was asking about reservoir quality. Mm-hmm. Um, 
15% the kind of the best that you see, or is that the kind of mean or? No, so that was that was that was the best we saw in in that upper Angua um, unit that had gas saturation. If you read the previous um, release uh, that was made last week on the updated results, we've got you know we've got some reservoir units that are thirty percent porosity um, in some of the, the shallower intervals, twenty percent of the Arcos. Um, so there is some variation in the reservoir quality. Um, haven't haven't seen in the upper Angua too much degradation of porosity with depth. And again, this is uncalibrated lock data that we're looking at. Um, but certainly you're going to get a variation in, in, in reservoir quality between your units and um, depends on where you are in the channel system as well. If you're, you know, right in the middle and it's nice and clean with very little um, bay content, then your porosity is likely to be better um, than if you're on the edges and, and, and the fringes where it may be a little dirtier. So these are all things that we're going to learn, um, you know, once we get a look at the, the cycle cores under the microscope as well. Um, yeah. um, I had a question on the essentially the weather. Do you, do you have much any information on what's going on there right now in terms of the rainy season, what surface conditions are like, or you know, is everything kind of on hold right now? Um, so, so, so basically, the from a, yeah. So the 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 rig has been. Um, so we've taken down the mast. It's rainy season at the moment, and, and it's been a heavy rainy season this year. Um, so we've taken down the the, the mast because um, it's a huge lightning conductor. Um, and we do have we do have tropical um, tropical thunderstorms that come into the into the area, and it's very very flat, uh, low relief, and so having something that's fifty four meters tall um, in the valley does attract um, a lot of um, a high chance of this thing acting as a as a lightning rod. Um, and in fact, you can see one of the the I mean, it's a stabilizer for the dirt, but also acts as the, the insulation in the background picture there. Um, it was very muddy and trying to mo demo the last bits of the services equipment um, a couple of weeks ago was very challenging. Um, luckily, we had the a couple of the virus size units there that are a little bit bigger that we were using as tow trucks to to get them out of some of the mud baths the, around mm -hmm. the just around the rig floor or around the, the base of the rig um, where there was a lot of activity. Um, but we're only one and a half case from the dirt road, from the from the tarred road. So one, once we're away from there, it, it's hard. Uh, sorry, it's fine, but there were there were a couple of sticky days there where it was um, where it was tricky and uh, and drilling drilling through the rainy season and getting stuff in and out would have been a hard ask. Not impossible, and and I mean it's done, but it's not ideal. Do you have um, an update on the kind of long lead items? Uh, if they're secured, how long they will take to arrive? And also, are you buying enough just for another well, or are you going to, you know, you know, money with no object? Obviously, you could buy enough for X number of wells. But do you have a a number of wells in mind to order the equipment for, or just order just enough for the next well? Yeah. So we, from a from a long lead perspective, we've got well heads, we've got casing um, enough for Bayabab if we were drilled. To drill McCoo 2 as the next well in the sequence, we probably need to order a little bit more 9.58 inch casing just because um, it is a little bit deeper um, than um, than what the second well, Baobab, um, was. That's a sort of 2,000 odd meter well versus sort of 3,500. Um, and then we've, you know, probably the only things uh, from a long lead perspective that we're missing would be mud and a little bit of cement. So those are, and we found, we found suppliers for mud in, in South Africa, um, 
which we needed to mm-hmm. do during the drilling campaign. So that's quite easy. Cement, though, is a little trickier because it's specialist G-class cement that, that's got to come from and be API accredited. Um, typically, that comes from um, from elsewhere. But again, these are smaller things to do, casing and and um, and wellheads are typically the, the long lead things at the moment. Things with the longest lead time, I should I should say. And then from a number of wells perspective, again, that's something we're discussing from a from a strategy point of view, whether we drill um, one or or two. Um, yeah. There's obviously benefits if you're if you're doing it in a combined campaign. There's there's um, there's mobilization and demobilization aspects to it and um, and efficiency. But yeah, again, this is something that we've got to firm up from a strategy perspective with the with the board and the team as to whether it's going to be one or two. You, am I right in thinking you're upgrading the rig to a synthetic Mudson system? So not fully oil-based, but kind of somewhere in the middle? Possibly. Um, and again, we need to have a look once the, the cycle calls are done and we've, we've got some, some analysis done as to whether there's been any, any reactivity with the mud uh, in, in, okay. in some of these resource sections. So that, that will determine whether we go synthetic. And then again, it'll probably only be for specific sections. Um, Rather than the full, so we, you know, we probably displace to synthetic for the eight and a half inch section, or even um, specific reservoir intervals or, or geological units, I should say, um, as opposed to the whole thing because it's synthetic mud's expensive. It's difficult to 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 transport um, as well. It's got to come in drums versus sacks of it, and you're making it up. Um, but the the rig is upgrading the, the entire mud system, so the the tanks, which we had issues with and couldn't start with because of the the state of them and the, the wall thicknesses, so they're replacing those along with the agitation system and and um, the pumps are okay. So again, that'll help speed up the operations. Um, was one of the bottlenecks for us during the drilling. Are there any other upgrades to the rig that you're thinking of, like the top drive system or repairs? <clears throat> it's one of, yeah, one of because the um, the the it is possible, and I think the only thing we, we we're concerned about is just the hook load um, that it's able to. It's relatively light at four hundred and seventy-five thousand. Fine for what we're doing at the moment, and and if we're drilling more vertical wells in the future, it kind of negates that a bit. From the modelling we did pre-drill, we thought we'd get to 3,500 meters tops with this rig, with a torque and drag, um, at, with this deviation. But we got down to thirty-nine hundred, and then ran out of drill pipe. So it. Um, it did, it did do better than expected, um, but it just becomes an issue if you get into problems with running casing or something and you need a little bit more grunt to rotate it or, or, or pull it back if it's if it's key seating or, or on a ledge to try and either pull it back or force it through, that, that's where you're starting to get a little bit exposed. So again, these are these are things and discussions that we're having with um, with Exalo. Or Exalo kind of fronting some of that given it's their rig. You know, and they get to take you away with them at the end of the day. So yeah, you know, they get well, to keep their yeah that's all that's all for their account. So it's you know, it's there's stuff that that um, we've asked for and that you know they volunteered the mud system because they saw it didn't perform and they were fantastic. Um I must say they, you know, proactive would get after anything that was wrong, sort out anything that, that needed fixing, um, and a very, very good good attitude and a pleasure to deal with. I mean that that rig contract amendment, um, you know, we negotiated in a week to do it. Very, very simple and straightforward. So they're a pleasure to deal with. Um, Are they giving you a decent rate to warm stack it? Is, is there the option to cold stack the brick? You know, essentially take everyone off it? Or 
Well, everyone everyone is off. They're going to have a break now during the rainy season because there's not much they can do and they're waiting for stuff to arrive. But as I mentioned earlier, we we can warm stack this for 18 months, um, maybe a little bit longer and, and be on a cost-neutral basis versus what it would have taken us to demob it and then remobilize it back. And that's excluding all of the hassle um, as well. So it's it's um, it's been a good option. Um, and it allows them to do all this maintenance and, and, and upgrades as well without the pressure of it, you know, of trying to fulfill other drilling contracts and, and operations at the same time. Okay. I think I'll hand back to Matt now for Matthew for finance questions. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Just uh, thank you, both of you guys. Just a quick follow-up, Scott. So all right, so if I'm if I'm going to summarize here based on you know weather and data and a team, you know, we're not quite in a position where we can ask you for you know, a game plan for the next zero, six or 12 months. So with that in mind, yeah, is there a, a schedule for a schedule? When, when might the market expect uh, an update for that, if that makes sense? Yeah, look, relatively quickly, um, you know, we've had, we've had discussions with, uh, with both the new board members um, as to what, you know, what we're thinking of in terms of forward strategy. Um, we've already started the, the process for, for long leads and, and services, which we think is going to probably be, probably dictate um, the timing of, of, of when when we'll be able to start again. So that, that won't take long. Um, and from there, also, we'll start having results and, and getting some insights into, from the from some of the core data and other data that we've gathered um, from from the well. So there'll be there'll be some news flow relatively quickly, um, both from a strategy point of view and then and then also some some further results, which will help fill in some of the banks. And then just a couple more follow-ups here, if I don't mind, just just quickly here, because I appreciate that you know we're we're taking up your time here. I don't want to belabor the point here, but uh, you know, so from a layman's perspective, my I mean, and it's, it's again, maybe this is why I'm asking for your input because you know, as a layman, obviously the things I don't know, I don't know. But to me, it screams go make the discovery, right? And so when you, I'm intrigued when you talk about you know three seismic or moving a couple kilometers away or going east or to the basin margin and almost kind of just abandoning who you want, not abandoning, but you know, moving on for the time being. Do you mind just kind of filling us in, you know, just taking the opportunity to kind of put, giving us your 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 thought process behind that? Yeah, I, well, I guess it just comes down to we've got a lot of options um, in front of us. We're not we're not forced to go and do to go and do one, you know, take one one single path. So we, you know, again, is do we do we go straight to Mapuyu two now? We don't shoot three D. Then, um, you know, we'll. we'll whether we'll have similar results or, or, or not, you know, we'd, we'd be better informed and expect to get a food sample out of the out of the next one, certainly. But we need to make sure that we're spending money efficiently. Um, we're not just drilling a well for the sake of drilling a well to satisfy people's desire for uh, a hole in the ground. Um, <laughs> that's what it that's what it feels like at the moment. That people just want us to go drill a hole in the ground, and, uh, and that's so. We've got to make sure when you're exploring and when you're appraising the primary. Um, what you're primarily doing is your data gathering, and you need to make sure that you do that in a, in as efficient a manner as possible, and that you're getting value for your money. So you don't want to go and drill the same hole and getting exactly the same data set. So you're trying to reduce your uncertainty um, for the accumulation that you're appraising, or you're trying to gain some new information from exploring, and that's by extending the play, drilling a new play, and and trying to unlock the basin. So if you if you go to, um, let's use Talo's exploration campaign in Uganda, 
as an example. So the first wells, so they bought Energy Africa, um, and that's the portfolio that John and our other um, Ned, who'll be on board very shortly, they help build that and put that together. And um, and and particularly our our next Ned, he was intimately involved in that. And we had Bob Cassie, who was ex Hardman Resources, their exploration manager, who also came in and was doing some advising um, for us when we were putting everything together. Um, and there's a fantastic paper actually that he and presentation that he put together called Finding Oil in, in Uganda. And it talked about their journey and, and how it went through. That was more from a from a Hardman perspective. But Tyler drilled some wells with heritage um, before they made those basin opening discoveries. And they had a couple of teasing results with <clears throat> Taraco, um, which were drilled and found gas but had high CO2 content. And then Kaniwataba, which which failed. Um, had some shows but but nothing commercial. And then when they drilled Warriga One, which was the first well that they drilled with, with Hardman, they they made that initial discovery, and it was quite modest um, initially. I mean, I think, and you can go and have a look at, at, at all the details in that in that paper that I mentioned. Um, I think it was roughly centimeters of net pad in in Warriga One in total across two pools, so um, you know two and a half meters and, and four and a half meters in it. But that was enough, and Tello had seen enough then from what they drilled that they knew that the basin was working. There were hydrocarbons in the system. Um, and that they have all these lookalike prospects along there that we're going to get unlocked. And the strategy that they employed was to try and unlock as many of those as possible in the shortest time frame, rather than going and appraising and, and doing all of that. And that's what led to then the, the buy-in. But they also wanted to swallow their partners before they before they went too too much and essentially proved out the value for them. We see some of that play out in the Perth Basin now at the moment um, as well with uh, with Norwest and um, and also Warrigo. So I guess we don't have any partners. And so the ability to prove up multiple pools then unlocks a different kind of valuation for us versus one big thing. Um, so these are all things that we've got to kind of weigh up and, and, and consider. Um, and it's, yeah, I, uh, the good, as I said, the good thing is we've got options and, and we're not pigeonholed into, into, into making a decision. We've got a rig available to us as well. Um, services we can get in you know in time when they're available and the rig market in in our neck of the woods is tight at the moment and you know i guess that's also something that uh, some uncertainty that we've removed is that we've got you know we're not waiting around for a rig which can take an inordinate amount of time to to secure um as some as some people have discovered um recently so i mean that's just some of the some of the the parts that we can we can consider and, and, and go for. And, and I guess, you know, also we've got two fantastic new new board members that have joined us and they've, you know, they've trodden this this part before. And and um, you know, I'm I'm very keen to get their input and, and and to see what how they'd like to attack it um as well, what we think the best route is and ultimately what the best route for the company and and, and the shareholders is. So so how thank you how how has Farmin or JV conversations been have been developing? Obviously, you can't speak in any specifics here, but I mean, have you seen renewed interest or increased interest? I mean, what what are the conversations you're having in light of your results that you've got from Wikibu One? Yeah, look, certainly it, it's um those those doors um those doors have been um, being knocked on again um, from um, well, our doors have been knocked on again, I should say, um, from people who've both been previously in the process and and those who haven't been in the process and are keen to keen to understand um you know get into the nitty-gritty and, and go and look at all the data so you know that again opens up 
another avenue um, as well for us um, through through farming art. We've done we've done a lot of the hard work, you know, taken taken the huge risk and the first step of of drilling a well, um, salt risking. And uh, I mean, if you'd asked me when we when I started um, Invictus, is this would you'd end up salt risking and, and drilling a well and, and having this kind of result, I would have grabbed it with, with both hands. I would have said probably that's the dumbest dumbest strategy I've ever heard is going and, and salt <laughs> risking and and essentially um, trying to beat a statistically very, very hard game and, and drilling in a frontier basin where no wells have ever been drilled before. And I mean, people still drill dry wells and proven basins. Um, it's, a, it's a hard game and there's a, there's a reason one, not many people do this, and um, it's because it's hard. So, so yeah, it's. Um, I can't remember the, the original question. I've I've, um, I've deviated um, <laughs> yeah, away from that, but it's it's um, you know we've got we've got some options ahead of us, and, and we're going to try and try and make. Oh, we're talking about farm life partners. Mm-hmm. You know that, that's always been the conventional conventional route for everyone. Um, as a small junior, go and try and market it. Get some interest from a bigger partner to get carried for seismic and and one well and then and then have a roll of dust and, and hopefully it comes in. So then I mean, we've completely bucked that trend, and it's always been um, never thought it would be an option that would have been open to us, um, primarily from a funding point of view and, and an appetite point of view. So that's that's been good, but um, you know it's a double edged sword because obviously there's the funding aspect, there's the there's a the dilution aspect um, of soil funding. If it worked out, um, and it should have worked out, and that's what's been the I guess the the very hard thing to come to terms with for us is we know where we should be, um, and all it all it needed is a is a fluid sample, and you know the, the tools failed, not the not the rocks. That's you know that's what the devastating aspect of this is. Um, but you know, nonetheless, we're very very pleased with, with how it's turned out, and and now I think everyone in the industry has been very complimentary to us, and I've had a lot of a lot of messages from everyone and um you know they're very excited for us and and pleased for us because you know success um success helps other explorers as well and and provides the appetite because it is a hard game and if you don't have people like Invictus um putting themselves out there and, and going and do this then no one finds anything and so you always get that little burst from other people who make discoveries and it kind of encourages everyone along it's not to say that every single exploration will still get drilled and a lot of a lot of poor ones get drilled for, for reasons that are, you know, commitments or whatever the case is. But, you know, everyone in the industry has been, um, been very supportive and, and it's been nice to have that, that kind of recognition for people who understand what, you know, what this, what this game is from an exploration, sense how hard it is and, and what our results mean. Well, that you, you kind of are, are trailing into a question I was hoping to, to ask you too. Is that is this a good example of where what retail or your casual layman investor sees as failure that other majors or other larger companies looking to be farming partners would see it as success? That 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 I mean, are, are, do you have these companies waiting for fluid samples, or are they already champing at the bit based on what they've seen? No, based on what they've seen, they you know they they want to they want to get in and um, you know so we're signing you know signing CAs. Um, refreshing others that that um, have expired and a lot of people said oh this is too risky these are the things that we've you know we're concerned about good luck uh, basically and others oh, okay well we were wrong well done um you know we'd like to have another look now because they see the they see the running room that we have the the materiality of the portfolio um that we have and it's very 
you know, again, very, very rare that you're in this <clears throat> position as a junior where you've got the entire the entire basin and you've had a result, um, you know, very good result by the, you know, by the fluid sample. And if you can't say this as a, as a company director, but if you were to ask me if I wasn't involved in my technical hat on, I'd, I'd tell you exactly <laughs> what I thought of what we what we found. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's um, it is um, it is something that's been missed by by the market and has been mispriced. And I was I was surprised actually, and probably uh, you know a lot of the criticisms I think are some of the announcements that we and you know me and the team write are too technical for people. Um, they can't understand it. They just want to know whether we made a discovery or not. Uh, and that's as far as the the analysis and and um, and due diligence goes. So, um, and that's some of that's fair criticism. Sometimes our our, 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 um, our are hard to understand of what it means. It's but it is a you know this is a technical business, um, and that's what that's what separates good explorers from you know from from um, from poor ones. And if you <clears throat> if you look, you know, as the as the saying goes, oil is first found in the in the minds of men, and you've got to be, you've got to have a very good technical team to unlock it. And because we, because we don't write simple announcements, um, maybe that uh, you know takes away from some of the the messaging in the in the in the public markets. So um, that's that's fair enough criticism on that on that part. Um, you know, enough to me now to try and articulate. What the results mean in a in a more uh, digestible manner for kind of the ordinary um, investor and, and, and shareholder who doesn't have a have an oil and gas and, and, and technical background much understanding. So ultimately, it'll be the it'll be the drill that does the talking that people really want to hear anyway, right? So in the end, all, all the marketing, all the advertising you do means nothing if you're actually doing dusters. So I mean, I, I, yeah, the, I I can see the frustration from some people, but I think that also that yeah, the the, the well will tell us very very clearly. When when good good times have arrived, right? One, sorry, I'm just just collecting loose ends here, and just one last one, just around the, the upper Angua Reservoir quality. Uh, can you just speak to that? Is it is it continuous sand? I mean, what can you speak to the quality of the of it? Is it high quality, low quality? Is it various intervals? Is it a thick continuous one one thick continuous sand? Can you just kind of clarify that? Yeah. So as I, as I said, we've got it's called the alternations member because you've got alternating cycles of source and and, and seal and reservoir, and they're roughly roughly 100 meter so between 80 and 120 meter kind of sequences between gross packages shall we call them of source um seal and then reservoir and then you get into your next sequence of source seal and, and, and reservoir so they do i mean that we, we do see some intervals that are rattier than others some that are lower net to gross and you've got and you expect them in this kind of depositional environment being fluvial where it's um where it's not going to be I mean, you do get you do get various thicknesses yeah, and, and seasonal variation. Yeah, that's right. Seasonal variation depending on where you are um, in in the system. If you're more towards the, the overbank and the edges of the system, or you're right in the middle. So, um, and again, you know, we're talking this upper angle unit is over a thousand meters, so you're not going to get all these good channels stacked on top of each other because you get um, over millions of years that the, <clears> the river. <throat> changes and you you know it, it moves um so you've got some stuff that's good some stuff that's poorer um you know somewhere in between importantly the well is averaging that out as well so yeah. you wouldn't get so fixated about having 
you know, quote, good permeability because that's going to be averaged out, you know, for yep. permeability. The well is the sum of all of the, the intervals at the end of the day. Yeah, so we're talking about one single point in a, you know, in a massive big, big structure and vertically you've got 11, 11 um, reservoir intervals that we've seen so far mm. and more beneath us and the lower angle which is, uh, from what we've seen in our crop, a bigger and blockier unit than, um, than what we've seen in the angle. So that's a massive sandstone versus um, what we've seen in the, in the upper angle. And then we've also seen bigger and thicker um, channels and outcrop in the upper angle, which we've sampled. And you can, you can see those um, pictures of that on you know, some of our older presentations where we released that outcrop data. So as I said, it's unlikely that we penetrated this, um, the upper angle in the best spot and almost certainly we haven't. Um, and some channels, because we've got so many of them, not just one, are going to be better than others. Um, and that's where 3D will really benefit um, in this type of system of where to, where to go and uh, target your. And the other reason for, for 3D is because we're going to need it to draw Makuyu 3 and Makuyu 4 and you know all the development models after that. So at some stage, we're going to have to shoot 3D. Um, and we've got the vibes in Harare at the moment, <coughs> sitting in our yard. Um, you know, we can start we can start shooting 3D as early as late March. Well, I think the lesson from Namibia is get your 3D data first, and uh, you know, go from there. Yeah, we had a, I mean, we had a great result running on on 2D, um, and now that we've had that encouragement, you know, 3D is a, 3D is a step that we will have to take at some stage, whether we draw Makuyu 2 first or or post 3D. You know, at some stage, we're going to shoot it and. So we're weighing up when we do that. Buy once, cry once, they say. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's a good saying. <laughs> Just one last yeah. category here. Uh, sorry, Jamie, do, do you want to jump in there, Jamie? Oh, no, no, I, I should probably shut up. <laughs> no, just I know that we're we are the three of us are a loquacious bunch here tonight. So I'm just trying to to maybe navigate us roughly towards the ending here. One last major category, uh, Scott, and it's going to be something that I know that you can't speak concretely to, but yeah, just future financings. Obviously, the market is is awaiting some sort of financing update, right? We know you've got twelve or thirteen million dollars in the kitty, so you've kind of got enough for the next step. But obviously, there's a you know from the I mean, I guess this is me editorializing now, but it really does sound like a like calm confidence of I mean, you know, you're talking about development wells and Makuyu three, four, five, and and you're, you're making choices not for the, the quick bang of a discovery play right now, but understand that this is a multi-year process and you're, and you're, you know, you're, you're approaching this not as a, as a market, as a marketer, but as a geologist. And that's something that I, I guess I give you kudos for, but also have to wrap my head around too. Right. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a fairly valid, uh, valid, valid perspective. But I guess my question is then is around financing. And again, I know it won't be concrete or specific, but what are your plans? Right. I mean, are you, is this something that you, maybe you are waiting for farming partner now that, you know, you've got uh, deals that are more approaching what you've deemed to be, deemed to be fair valuation. Are you just going to be doing small cash raises to try to get to, uh, you know, some sort of uh, inflection point in the market? I mean, what's your, how are you navigating cash raising in the next zero, six, 12 months? Yeah, so I think so. Our, our quarterly came out um, last week, and um, I think it's showed that um, we've got more cash. I think than people thought, mm -hmm. um, and maybe there was again some misunderstanding from um, from the the results webinar that I did when 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 all that came out. Um, so there's no immediate need for cash for us because we've got we've got some time before um, you know we've got to order some additional long leads, which are relatively minor, a little bit of casing perhaps if we're going to draw the Q2 next. Um, some cement and and some mud, and go out for 
for tendering for services. So that you know that doesn't require a lot of money. The rig is sitting there, so we're not looking at any big big mob costs. Um, the rig bills have been paid, um, and um, you know, so we're we're not we're not in a rush. Um, so from a zero month perspective, no. Um, so that does open the doors for us, and we've had a lot of interest from, you know, again, strategics who now understand who didn't want to play um, pre-drill because, again, they look at the stats and they say, well, you know, 95 times out of 100, I'm going to lose my shirt. And, um, you know, so we'll, we'll wait until you guys are done, and then um, and then if if things turn up, then, then, then we're interested. So those conversations are now, are now starting to happen. Um, again, where everyone was really interested in the story, but thought it was too high risk. Um, what we were doing during a you know during a wildcat well. So you know there are those aspects. We've got farming opportunities now as well. Um, you know, also going back to our existing shareholders, I think there is some appetite there, and you know the the, the perpetual um, email commentary that I have is you know we'd like. <laughs> For retail shareholders to be able to participate, and I can understand that because, you know, as I said in, in previous previous conversations that we've had, that they do get a raw end of the deal when it comes mm-hmm. to when it comes to fundraising um, for ASX companies. But you know, quite frankly, we don't set the rules, and it's hard to it's hard to please everyone. Um, you know, when we when we embarked on that on that raise, when we did, and we had to stare down essentially our farm and partners and the market at the same time. That's a that's a difficult juggling act to do and once you made that decision you've got to execute and fulfill it otherwise you're in no man's land and swimming naked so we've got a little bit more time up our hands now so we can explore a number of options um you know they've all got they've all got pros and cons so bringing in you know bringing in strategics i think would disappoint some of our existing shareholders who'd like to be able to participate at, at, at these sort of levels essentially now that we've de-risked the base you know that's the other thing i think is is has been frustrating that we're trading at a at a level that's much lower than we were going into this pre-drill when we had all of this risk um, and, and uncertainty and likelihood of, of failing. Um, and now we've removed the vast majority of that risk and we're at a much lower point than we are now, um, or than we were pre-drill. So uh, that's also been a bit a bit flummoxing um, to understand and, and, the, and the risk that's priced in of where we are now versus where we were is very different. Um, and then, um, you know, so if we bring in strategics who who understand the significance of what we've had, that's going to alienate some of our existing shareholders. Um, doing a, a, an SPP, again, that's an option for us or a rights issue that is consuming um, from a time and an effort perspective, not to say that's a reason why we should do it, but it just takes a little bit longer to organize. And there's always that overhang in that period where everything's getting organized and, mm-hmm. and the office open. Um, and then you know the farm market where where you're looking at diluting at the asset level versus um, you know versus at the corporate level uh, as well. But you take some risk off the table from a from a financing perspective and um, and from a burden perspective, particularly when when um, you know things don't things don't go according to plan or according to budget. Then then that does help shoulder some of that some of that burden. And also, you know, some some JVs are very good at collaborating with you, and, and you get different ideas and different input. And, and different opinions into what you should drill next strategy-wise um, as well. So, so there are a number of, of pros and cons. And so, again, this is discussion now for, for the new team to, to finalise and, and, then, and then pick a path. Mm-hmm. 
I guess I, I will just. Oh, Jamie, you step in if you like. Oh uh, no, I'm good. Just uh, it's a it's a, a it's a follow up question that I think will probably end up not with a, without a without a clear answer because of the reasons you explained. But I guess maybe the the part I'm curious about is you know. Are you looking to finance just one or two drills in advance and trying to keep you know whatever dilution down low until you hit that inflection point from discovery, or are you maybe looking to get more long-term funding in place? Yeah, again, that's uh, that's also got to come into the into the equation as to whether it's one or two wells. What's the appetite for one or two wells from a from a funding perspective? If we were to go and do this ourselves, do we just go and drill Makuyu two and try and prove up to have a step change in terms of our of our valuation and then and then go from there um or if we opened up a new play um or extended the play we'd do a similar thing mm. so or do we have um you know do we just like put it and just go and drill go and drill two wells um as we plan to in the in the first campaign to with different play types because you, you've got you've got different risks associated with them so yeah, uh, it's something that we've got to that we've got to settle on. I've got an idea of what I what I'd like to do, but you know, again, would like to get um, get the opinions and then and then settle on a on a strategy with the with the new board in place. Yeah, and that's valid. Sounds sounds like we'll just have to meet back here again in a month or two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, you know, Scott, it's been much more. I was budgeting hour and a half. We're approaching two and a half, so I think it's probably time for us to say goodbye. Uh, Jamie, do you have a last last thought or last question you'd like to to discuss quickly? Uh, no, just thanks for the time and the answers and you know, being so honest and candid about how things went. Yeah, Good and to I'll, see. I'll echo that as well, Scott. Yeah, I always appreciate that you are very, very honest in these conversations and, and yeah, you don't pull punches. And yeah, exciting times ahead. Maybe not necessarily people are looking for, but I think that uh, if people actually stop, stop and take time to understand what's going on, there's a lot of positives, <laughs> for, people to, a lot of positives for people to remain excited about. But yeah, part, parting thoughts to you, Scott? Yeah, well, just again, thanks, thanks for having me, and always a pleasure to um, you know join you on the, on these sessions, and I think get to ask ask questions and get some insight in, into things that we you can't put into ASX announcements or mm. or, um, or and 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 tease a bit more context out of it, um, mm. I guess. So otherwise, we'd have a rambling and, and, and incoherent um, thirty page long uh, <laughs> ASX announcement to digest, which would also also turn people from from reading them. Um, so it's yeah. So it's always always great to to um, you know to do this and um, and also get some questions that you that you don't expect um, from people uh, as well. And sometimes you can't you know you just don't don't know what people want to know either. Um, and and I guess that's also with your assumed knowledge that you have sitting in in the chair that I'm in. Sometimes you forget that people people don't have have all the context available to them. Um, but yeah, I guess from 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 our point of view, we we've, we've got. Um, you know, got a, a, a nice period in, in front of us. We've got the campaign behind us now. We've we've got now the planning. We've already started for the for the next one. Um, got two fantastic new board appointments that have come in. So John Bentley and the other one, um, you know, that'll be out in in the next day or so. And, and I think people will will also be very very pleased with the pedigree of of um, you know who we've been able to attract, and, and they should take some some real <clears throat> comfort and belief out of those you know people people like John and, and who's, who's coming in, um, you know, that, that this is a company and a project with, um, with a huge amount in front of it and, and a huge amount of potential. And, and, uh, and now also, you know, they're not going to, you know, particularly John who can pick and choose what he does. He's not going to do it if it's not, um, not interesting and, and doesn't have the, 
doesn't have the potential to to move the needle. Um, I think is also the you know the difference. And and um, you know we've got some some lab results that'll be due soon. Some of them will take weeks. Some of them will be a bit longer depending on what's what's coming out. That'll we'll be able to put some more information about the results out on the on the public, which I think will satisfy a lot of the calls. Certainly, a lot of the emails that I've been been getting are about when are the core results coming out. It's, it's not black <laughs> minerals. There's there's a bit of there's a bit of work that's involved in specific um, sequences. You've got to do some of these tests and and, and make sure that they're they're being done properly. Um, and then um, you know from a strategy point of view, again we will the the book will be in Zimbabwe um, in the next few weeks, um, and um, we'll also be be putting out you know what what the next steps will be for the company and and, and the project. So people will be able to get a better idea of the timelines of what's of what's coming up and what's ahead of us. Um, but yeah, thanks, thanks everyone for the for the interest and um, and for all the questions that have come in and uh, for your support. It's been it's been um, amazing from uh, from some of the messages support that I've got. Um, you know, been 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 great to have that sort of faith put in the company and put in me. Um, and um, people are still invested emotionally and financially, obviously, in 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 the company and its success and and, and what it can do and and be transformational. So. Always appreciative to all of our shareholders and and, and investors um, as well for for giving us the opportunity to go and, to go and do this and and go and chase this very exciting project. Well, I think that sounds sounds like a decent place to end. Again, yeah, thank you for your time and your patience, Scott. Always always a pleasure. Great. Take Thanks, care. Matt. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Yes. Take care. Bye, everyone.